know when you're reading the scriptures, um, you're reading the Bible, and you come across like times when God speaks to somebody like specifically and it's life changing, right? Like you think about um, Jesus, uh, his interaction with Paul, right? When he's on he's on this road, he's not even a Christian yet, and there's just like this moment when he has this interaction with Jesus, and it's a moment. Moment in his life, his long life, and it changes everything. And you like think about Moses, and Moses is interesting because Moses he lived for forty years in Egypt as Pharaoh's like stepson, I guess it was, or his his his, uh, his up in his house forty years, and then he had to run right, and then he lived out in in the plains in the wilderness for another forty years. That's like two lives. Like two, like you would have experienced two lives. And then the burning bush. Then he has his moment. He's 80. Right? So you think about like he could have, you could you could be here at any moment in your life. There could be a moment that God wants to speak to you. And it could change everything. That's pretty exciting, right? Um, I don't know if that's gonna be a moment for you today, but it's exciting to have that anticipation as we as we as we enter into a time where we're listening to what God wants to it could change everything at any moment. So we've been going through this series called Kingdom People, and I think it is it is life. It should be life changing. To be Kingdom People is to be different than than the way that this world teaches you to live. So to be Kingdom People is really, in a sense, it's saying I'm we're His people. If we're His people, it's going to look different, right? And it's a perspective. So today we're going to look at the last piece of this that we're going to be looking at. Many things you can look at in the Bible, but but in our series, Kingdom People, and it's a being kingdom of stewards. And what I want to start off by saying is that living like you're a kingdom of stewards is a completely different perspective of living than, than, than anything I've ever kind of like experienced. You really embrace it. And I think that there's two real enemies that I've experienced, that I, that I faced. There's two real enemies to, to understanding what it looks like to be kingdom people. And the first one is to, to, to look at life, to embrace life like you're the owner. If you embrace life like you're the owner, that's going to be really hard to be a kingdom person. And it's the exact opposite of being a steward. Because the steward's not the owner, he's the manager. He's the manager, and someone else is the so if you live like, like you're the owner, that's pretty actually normal. And we, we, actually, we actually talk this way. We, we say things like when someone's going through a hard time at work or whatever, and they come up to you, you go like, it's your life. Right? It's your life. So do what you got to do. Or do right? And so there's this idea where we say, I think most of us would go like, we know people who, who live their life like they're the center of the universe. And we think we're doing really good because we don't live our life like we're the center of the universe. But do you live your life like you're the center of your life? That gets a little bit sense. Because we're not supposed to live that way. Are you the center of your life? Because that's what we're communicating to our kids when we say, you can do anything you want to do when you grow up. Because you're the center of your life and you just work hard. You can do anything you want to do when you grow up. You're the center of the universe. Or we say, follow your heart. It's following your heart, because your heart is, apparently, some people, your heart is literally the center of the universe, even though the Bible says it's just a storage unit, and what you put in it affects 
follow your storage unit, right? Wherever you like. Like that makes no sense if you really think about it. But we say just just do what makes you happy, right? All of these things are saying, I'm the center of my universe, I'm the owner. I'm the owner of my life. I'm the owner of everything. And the second one, if if you, if you, if you don't get caught up in that, the second one is gonna be to be a consumer. I'm a consumer. I'm somebody, and I need I need I need a bunch of stuff in order to be happy to, to satisfy myself. I need stuff, and, and there's a there's a, a, a psychologist uh, will tell you that they, they do studies, and I realize this like for, for my generation, they're saying that by the time I was 20 years old, I had seen one million commercials, one million commercials. Now I'm 41, so I've seen two million commercials, and every commercial, what does it do? It says, you're the center of your universe, and you need what I'm selling you in order to be happy in that center of that, in your universe. You need something that I'm selling you. You need to consume it. If you consume it, it'll fix everything. We're consumers or owners, and yet the scriptures say, no, you're still. So to help you kind of unpack this, or help me unpack this a little bit more, let's kind of look at it from a different angle. I want you to imagine that you work for Honda. Anyone here work for Honda? Chances aren't very good. Does anyone here own a Honda? Okay, we're getting somewhere, right? So, but just imagine you work for Honda. What's Honda's new thing? Random acts of helpfulness. You see these commercials? Random acts of helpfulness. They send out people, they hire people, and their job is to go out and do random acts of helpfulness. Right? So they'll go find somebody, and they'll and, and, and then they'll be like, Your, my, my kid has a special need, and I don't have the money. And, and do I need to fix? Well, well, okay, we'll fix it. Right? My kid's going to go to school, wants to go to school. We don't have the money. Okay, well, we'll do random acts of helpfulness, right? Or they'll go to a grocery store and they'll, and, and they'll, and they'll just say, hey, we'll pay for, we're going to pay for your groceries. Random acts of helpfulness. Imagine that was your job. That's what you do for a living. You work for Honda and you do random acts of helpfulness. If you did that, who do you represent? You don't represent yourself, you represent Honda. And who, whose resources are you using to do random acts of helpfulness? That's what it looks like to be a steward. That I'm representing my king, king of the stewards, the people are representing their king, using the resources that he gives you to do what he calls you to do. This is what we're talking about today. So kingdom stewardship is about using what God has entrusted to you for his kingdom purposes. It's a different way of living. Do you live like everything that you have is his and he wants you to, he's entrusted you with it to use it for, for whatever he wants you to use it for? And you might be interested to think like, like that's what we were created to be like. That's exactly how, from the beginning, like it's funny, like you talk to people and they're going, I'm trying to figure myself out. I'm just trying to find myself, right? Well, find yourself in this. You were created to be a steward. You were created to be a steward. It says that in Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible, verse 26, the very first thing it says about when he creates people, it goes like this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So before he even did it, he already had this plan for them. This is God's plan for your life. I wonder what God's plan is for my life. This is God's plan for your life. To live, Right? Like he wants to entrust you with everything to use for his purposes. But he goes, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. 
over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So in other words, God creates people, he creates all of these things first, and then he creates people, and he says, I want you to take care of it. I want, I'm entrusting you. You're not the owners. We never became the owners of this earth. And or the consumers. We were entrusted. Matter of fact, it all went awry when they became the consumer. The one thing you can't do, don't eat of this. No, I gotta have it. When they became consumers, it all unraveled. And what God is calling us back to is to see ourselves. These kingdom people, as kingdom stewards. So what we're gonna look at. Today is whenever you're going to reorient yourself, you always go back to your favorite book of the Bible, which is called Deuteronomy. <laughs> so turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Right? You guys are with me on that one, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll talk a little bit about the context before we dig in. But, but in, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8, we're basically going to see that if we want to reorient ourselves to becoming back to what we were created to be, which is stewards kingdom people, as kingdom stewards, we're going to need to remember. We're going to need to remember that God is the creator and sustainer. We're going to need to remember. And we're going to need to recognize. We're going to need to recognize that everything that we have is actually his. And then we're going to need to respond. See, normally when we talk about a kingdom of like generosity or stuff like that, we just go right to respond. What do I got to do? You can't do that. If you want to be a kingdom people, you got to go back to the heart of things. So to remember, and then to recognize, and then to respond. So in Deuteronomy, just so that you know, basically, after Adam and Eve, after they become consumers, sin just engulfs everybody, everyone becomes selfish, everyone living, is living like they're the owner, and they're the consumer, and they're the owner, and no one's really living like a steward. And then God comes to a guy who's a pagan, not a godly man, named Abraham, Abram, who's a pagan from Ur of the Chaldeans. And God comes to him, and he says... Abram, I want you to go with me. I'm just, you're going to leave the place where you're at, and I want you to go with me. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to bless your family line. I'm going to bless your, the generations after you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. It's getting them back to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to trust you with something so that you can be a steward. And God does. He, he has Abraham, God, in, in uh, Hebrews 11, it says, he was, considered, he, was, he was considered righteous because he obeyed God. He, he trusted God and he went. Even though he didn't know where he was going. He just knew where he was leading. And he knew who he was going after. Right? So he follows him. And he does have a family. He has Isaac. And then and there's a miracle. you got to read about that on time. Right? Then Isaac has uh, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, you, uh, God wrestles with Jacob. That's why the song is talking about like the night that you wrestle with God. It's talking about that time when God wrestles with Jacob and he changes his name. He changes his name to Israel. That's how we get the Israelites. Israel is Jacob. Jacob starts to fall. Now Jacob has 12 sons. That's why there's 12 tribes of Israel from these 12 sons. The oldest one that didn't lose his birthright is named Judah. That's where we get Judaism. And then he had a younger son who was, who was Joseph. And, and Jacob, Israel, was far from perfect. His family had issues, and those issues caused problems. You can read about it in Genesis. So all those problems, they end up in Egypt. 
And it's a mess because of their mess, but God has a bigger plan, right? For 400 years they're in Egypt, and then what happens? They become slaves. Being a slave is hard, and they're crying out to God. And then God brings Moses into the situation. God brings redemption. He entrusts Moses with a leadership role so that he could do God's will. Right? He's just a steward. And he leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he promises, I'm going to take you to the promised land. He takes them right up to the promised land. Remember the story? And, and, and they realize I, the, the obstacles, the things in our way are so big that I, I have, I'm there having a hard time trusting God. I don't know. We can't do this, they say. So what does God do? Does he say, I'm going to find someone else? No. He gives them 40 years of school. 40 years of school for the fool. Called the wilderness. Right? They wander in the wilderness. He's training them for 40 years. And now he's going to bring them back. Now they're ready. He wouldn't need to give up on them. He made them ready. He, he, he disciplined them. And now they're ready. Now they're standing. Plains of Moab. Right here. You're at the plains of Moab. All the people. Moses is talking about. The, the Jordan River's right here. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go to the Promised Land. Jerusalem. You guys have heard of that place? We talk about it a lot in the news right now, right? Jerusalem. That's where the Promised Land is. Guess what's in, in the way? Jericho. Jericho's the first obstacle. Remember what happened? They walked around seven times the walls of Jericho. That's what's going to happen. They're going to cross the Jordan, walk around, go into Jerusalem. It's the Promised Land. Back up. They're at the plains of Moab. Deuteronomy is a, is a series of speeches, motivational, instructional speeches to help this new generation about to go in to this new land so that they're ready. And he's going to basically say in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you're going to need to remember some things, you're going to need to recognize, and you're going to need to respond. Because if you don't, you're going to start thinking that you're the owner, you're the consumer, going to be able to be the people that I want you to be. That's what we're going to read today. Excited? Yeah. Yeah. First thing is about remember. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 10. I know it's a lot, but it's awesome. It says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. This is a heart issue. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. How many of you guys know this? If you're a parent and you give your kid everything that they want, you spoil them. That's what he's saying. He's like, I'm a good dad. I didn't just give them everything I wanted. I let them go out there, experience some hunger, and then I gave them food so they knew who gave it to them. I provided for them. I, dis I was disciplining them. I was teaching them some things. And he goes, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you, you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And remember that? That's what Jesus used to combat his temptation. And he goes, Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell those forty years. Now then, in your heart, this is a heart issue, now then, know then, in your heart, 
As a man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. You know what the difference between punishment and discipline is? Punishment is like getting you back for the bad stuff you did, but discipline is for future good behavior. It's training. He goes, so, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. And a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of the, whose hills you can dig copper. It's a great land. So all of these resources is going to give you and trust you with. What are you going to do with it, right? And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He's given to you. So what we see here is, is, is Moses is, is basically saying like this. Like, you're going to go into this land... And, and it's going to get good for a while. And that can be good for you, but that can be real bad for you. It can be bad for you if you forget that God did that for you. And you start thinking, I'm the owner. And you start looking at all these resources, and you start like hoarding them, and they can build really bigger barns to keep them for yourself. He's like, no, I want, I want, I'm going to give you these things. I'm, to, I'm entrusting these things to you. So we need to, rec we need to remember and the first thing he shows us is that we need to remember who God is. Who does Moses say God is in this passage? Who is God in this passage? You guys have any thoughts? What, what, what did you hear Moses? How did he, why was he describing this God? Who is God? He's a father. He's a father who's disciplining and taking care of and teaching, training, even the hard stuff. From the wilderness, all had a purpose. And Mr. Miyagi, you. Right? You your wax on, wax off. No, you're learning how to fight a good fight, right? He's training you. He was a trainer. He was provider. He was sustainer. He was the hope giver. He was everything out there in that wilderness, wasn't he? That's who God is. And then we need to remember what he has done. Remember, guys, God took you out of slavery. You're in slavery. He led, he's the one who led you out of that. You went to the promised land. You failed miserably. He picked up the pieces. He took you to school for the fool, and he trained you. And now he's got you back. He did it all. Think about us New Testament believers. How much more should we embrace the fact, who's Jesus? And what has Jesus done for us? And then lastly, we need to remember what he's promised. He's promised to take you into this good land. It's going to be so good. What about as New Testament believers? I mean, literally, Jesus goes, hey, guys, I know you're freaking out about the fact that I'm telling you that I'm going to leave for a little while. But here's the good news. I'm going somewhere for a purpose. I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a rad place. And if I go, I'm coming back. I'm, gonna bring, I'm not leaving you. I'm coming back. I'm going to bring you there. We'll be there for eternity. That's a promise. All of these things. Who God is. What God has done. What God has promised. Are supposed to be the foundation in our hearts. That we need to remember. If we want to be kingdom people. 
And then he moves on and he, and he starts to what I would call the recognize. You need to recognize. You need to recognize. Verse 11. He goes like this. He goes, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. You become prideful. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. You ever go through a hard time and you're like, why did God do this to me? Always has a good reason. You just don't understand. And I don't always understand. And you know, it, it's not always the best thing when someone goes, I'm going through a hard time, but God has a good reason. <laughs> just give them a hug sometimes, you know, and, and be quiet. Say, I don't know. But he always does. This is something we know about our God. He says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So we recognize something. We need to recognize that everything that we have is a gift from him. Right? Everything that we have is a gift from him. And we need to recognize who's in control. That's what he's saying. When you're in slavery, that's how I start talking. When you're in slavery, you know what? You know what's something about being in slavery or being in prison? You have no control. All of your control is taken from you. Somebody is controlling you. That's what it means. You were in that situation. You had no hope. No, no way to get yourself out of it. And I came. And I rescued you. And who thought that they were in control in that circumstance? It was Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh had all the power. Did he? God was in control. God could even move the hand of Pharaoh, could even part the Red Sea, could even lead you. He's in control. We remember who's in control. We remember who provides all that you have. You were out in the wilderness, right? And, 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 and you had no water, and I gave you water. I provided. And you had no food, I gave you food, right? And there was fiery serpents, you had no protection, I protected you. It's all about him providing God. Even to the point where this is what's amazing to me, because you, you might, in our secular world, we can think like this. You know, my mom told me I could be whatever I want if I just worked hard. I worked hard. That's why I have everything I have. And there's some, there's some proverb pieces there, right? If you're lazy, might be a reason why you don't have anything. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's no, like, you got, you're working hard is a good thing. The Bible does say that. Right? Being lazy is not good. Don't just be lazy. But, but it's working hard in God's grace and realizing that he's given you even the ability to work hard. Who gives you breath? I go to work. I got up in the morning. I went to work. Who gave you breath? Who gave you hands? Who gave you feet? Who gave you strength? Who gave you a mind that could think? 
and that could go to college and learn. Who gave you all of that? He did. Lest you go, oh, I earned all these things. And in the Bible, Jesus goes like this. Lest you go, I worked hard. I was successful. I earned all these things. Now I got all this stuff. I'm going to go build a bigger barn. Put all my stuff in there. He's like, that's not being a steward. That's being an owner, right? So, so everything that you have, he's provided for you. For you. There's this guy in the 1700s named John Wesley. Um, he had a brother. Um, and uh, it's a rad story. But all that being said, he was a big part of, of, uh, of initiating the, the Methodist Church. What, what do you think about the Methodist Church today? That, that's not, that's neither here nor there. But here's what I've learned about church history. Every denomination, every, every denomination like this is rad when it starts. They're always like, John Wesley was rad. He loved Jesus. His main heartbeat was being a steward. If you go to the Methodist church today, and I love them, we're going to go, our next service Saturday, we're going to go serve our Methodist church right down the street, and, and so I encourage you to go. But they let us um, start out our church there, and there's only 11 of them left. And 11 of them can tell you stories about how they built that thing, and their daddy built that brick by brick, that building. Right? And 11 of them, are they keep the lights on. 11 of them. They're generous, right? Eleven of them, and they still every Saturday they still feed over fifty people in this community for free. People who need food, they they do like a food thing, and and they open uh, seven days a week. They're open to NA groups and AA groups. Why? Because John Wesley ingrained that in them. This is not our building. Use this building. Let other people use this building. So John Wesley, there's a story about him. He's out preaching, and one day, imagine this. He has a house, he has a family, and somebody comes to John Wesley. They didn't have, like, you know, they couldn't text him at that time. They didn't have to send a messenger. They go to him, and they go, I got bad news. Better sit down. He goes, what? He goes, your house burned down. What do you think his response was? His response is nuts. Crazy. Or is it? Are we the crazy ones? He goes like this. He goes, no. The Lord's house burned to the ground. And now I have one less responsibility to worry about. That's what he said. He said it's the history report. That is a different way of thinking. I mean, my house almost drowned this spring. Stormwatch 2017 hit the Kings hard. Like, I felt like our house was going to float away. But here's what I didn't do. I didn't go like this. No, honey, don't worry. It's the Lord's house that's floating away. <laughs> I freaked out, right? And I did something about it. But this is a different perspective. Is he crazy or am I? And then who gives you success? Recognize who gives you success. Or, 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 or brainwave this. What even is success? This whole passage is saying, obey the Lord, obey the Lord, obey the Lord. He doesn't go like, hey, obey the Lord and do awesome things and then make your mommy proud. And get awards. This goes obey the Lord, obey the Lord. Because in the Bible, success just equals obeying the Lord. And here's the thing. There's people in the Bible and in our lives that obey the Lord and, and, they, and they don't have like earthly success. But in God's eyes, they do. And there's people in the Bible who, who don't obey the Lord and they have earthly success. There's tons of stories in the Bible, right? About the guy who lived and had a bunch of stuff here, but then you see on the other side how it goes. All flip flops. 
So success equals obeying the Lord. And when you do have success, like on earthly, on an earthly uh, level, when you do gain stuff, it's He that gave you the success. It's a, it's a, it's a recognizing. Who gives you everything that he gives you? And then we respond. And only then we respond. And he gives it like this. He says, and if you forget, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. He warns them, he warns them that if you fail to remember that he's the creator, that he's the rescuer, that he is God, if you fail to remember that, and you fail to recognize who gives you success, who's in control, who gives you everything that you have, then your temptation is going to be to have your heart turn and make other things God. To make other things the center of your world. And our number one choice is we are the center of the universe. And the other things that we do is what do we do? We do stuff. Stuff. I serve stuff. I serve other people, what other people think about me. Right? I got this many followers, so I'm doing good on Facebook. Right? This many likes this week. Sweet. Right? I better, I better like, I better read a really cool book with lots of cool quotes to get my likes up, right? We, 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 we live like that when we're honest. We want validation, right? We, be, we make all of these things our God. So Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, he, he actually talks about Deuteronomy 8, Jesus does. Actually, he talks about it a lot, if you, if you notice. Like all, of, all of the things that he said when he was combating his temptation all come from Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Pretty important piece of scripture. Starts with the Shema, you know that. It's a really important part of scripture. But, but he, he, he talks about it this way in, in, uh, in Matthew 6. He says in verse 19, he goes, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart issue. He's literally saying like, like, wherever you're, wherever, whatever you think is a treasure, it shows what's in your heart. If Jesus is your treasure, if God's your treasure, then, then it's going to show with what you treasure. Right? If money is more important or, or stuff's more important, it's going to show what's in your heart. And then in verse 24, he goes, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. But he knows that for these people, Deuteronomy 8 has hit them hard to where the thing that they've gone after is now they care about money. Money is their God. Money is what controls them. So it looks like this. Like, if I do this, if I do the right thing, um, it's going to cost me money. But if I do the wrong thing, man, Jesus is forgiving. That's a forgiving religion. Right? That's what the base found on forgiveness, right? But if I do the wrong thing, I get forgiven, and I can you know, make money. What do you do? Shows what's in your heart. Right? So we respond. In uh, the Holman Bible Dictionary, if you look up stewardship, which I did, 
It says this, and I want to read this, and I want you guys to kind of just unpack this with me. It says like this. It said, when God created humans, he made them to have dominion over all the earth. That's Genesis 1.26, that's what we read. It says, dominion was not intended to be domination or exploitation. Dominion was God's call for human beings to be good and gracious managers of God's creation. Unfortunately, the sin of humanity interrupted God's plans for this world. Humankind became selfish, seeing the world as a means to its own self-centered ends. The things of the world were now seen as possessions of humans as owners, not as God's stewards. God's intention for his world did not change. He still desires that people see God as the Lord of everything and themselves as the managers of God's creation. So reorientation. So last week we were talking about the kingdom of generosity, and I didn't get to the end, and I cut off because it would have, it would have taken forever, and I, and I promised you that I would do that this week. I'm going to keep my promise. So last week we were talking about the kingdom of generosity, and, and, and it fits in with this. It's one way of responding. So when we think of generosity, think about your time first of all. Are you generous with time? And then think about your stuff. Generous with your stuff. Like, like when a kid comes over to your house because mom needs to talk and the kid's like, you know, like, like, you know, like get your couch dirty. Is the couch more important than the kid? Be generous with your Not that rules aren't important, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that with hardest. You know, right? And then think about like 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 how you spend your money. I, I just being honest, if I'm honest with myself, I spend way, I spend a lot of money on things that don't need. And, I, and I, when I really think about it, I go like, in this last week, is there anything that I, I bought that made me more happy? Like long-term happy or sad? The answer is no. Right? It's just those two million commercials. Right? I keep drawing to that, right? And so are you generous? And, and, and the, the thing when we think about this idea of gener generosity is we tend to look at it as a rule. What do I got to do, right? And in the church, I think... Um, Sometimes the church becomes the, the greedy one and has in the past, and then they want, they want like, I, I want to I come up with a teaching that I can guilt everybody into giving more money because I want to build a bigger barn, right, or a bigger building or whatever it is. Like, they, the church for sure can do that wrong. And then the people also, the people can, can, can get greedy, so this can get really messy and tricky. Why you got to start with it as a heart issue? And, and when, we, when we look at, like, if we're going to give, we're going to be generous, let's say, with our money, we're going to give... Some people would say, okay, well, what do you give? You give tithe. That's 10%, right? Well, there's all these different ways of looking at that in the scriptures. And I, I just one of the things that bothers me. I don't think that it's okay for a preacher to preach something as more clear than it really is in the Bible. It's, it's, it's not really that clear. Exactly what we're supposed to give in the Bible. But here are some things, some thoughts on this. C.S. Lewis, we'll start with him. Everyone loves a good C.S. Lewis book. <laughs> he goes like this. He goes, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Give more than we can spare. So in, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking to them about this very issue. And the first thing he says, last week we looked at this. When we're talking about being generous, you can't be generous if you're greedy. 
Greed is the opposite. Like, so, so it's, if you're greedy, that will keep you from being generous. Another one is, giving out of guilt is not generosity. If you're giving out of guilt, that's not generosity. It might be helpful to the other person. I'm not, like, if you're going to give me five bucks, I really don't care sometimes, you know, what your motive was. I just want your five bucks. But, but for you, it's not generosity. Right? And giving out, going through the motions. I'm just going through the motions. That's not generosity. This is a heart issue. So here, we're going to look at, at things that every time in the Bible, I don't know exactly what God wants you to do, but, but generosity is always giving sacrificially. Biblical generosity is always giving sacrificially. C.S. Lewis goes, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking to them, and he goes like this in chapter 8. He goes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So there's a, here's an object lesson. Here's a group of people he wants to use as a, as a life lesson, right? Look at what these guys are doing because you can learn a lot from them. And he goes, for in a severe test of affliction, were things going well? Like, okay, they had a really good time because they had some extra to give. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their own part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Listen to this. This is crazy. This is like John Wesley crazy. It goes like this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can you imagine that? Like, Paul coming in, he's like, you guys are really going through a hard time. Why don't you guys just, you know, put your walls away? And they're like, please. Please let us. He says they're begging. Please let us kill. With joy. Right? So generosity is always giving. Sacrificially, it's a heart issue. And then in the next chapter, he, he, he brings it like this. In chapter 9, and verse 7, he goes like this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so we, it, generosity is not greedy or, or guilt-ridden or, or going through the motions, but it's always sacrificial, and generosity is giving willingly. They gave what they decided to give. No one, I can't, no one can tell you they decided, they worked it out with God, and they, and they gave what God showed them to give. They gave willingly. And then, generosity is always giving joyfully. He says, with cheerful hearts, they gave. So true generosity is giving sacrificially, and willingly, and joyfully. It's an act of worship. So here's some reflections. We'll have the worship team come. Some reflection questions for us. What has God reminded you of this morning? What are you wrestling with? For sure, whenever you bring up uh, uh, the idea of generosity, the tendency is to get skeptical for some people and go like, oh, yeah, now they're talking about, is this like a scheme to get more money? Like, literally, I don't want your money. I don't get paid. I'm not just saying that to break, but I, I don't take a salary. You give as much as you give, it doesn't affect me. I'm not up here begging for your money. Jesus was never begging for anyone's money. Jesus, they, they came up to Jesus and they go, um, uh, why don't you pay taxes? He goes, hey, Peter, go down to the water and, and grab a fish. Oh, okay, I'm a fisherman. Grab some fish, opens it up, there's coins, pays his taxes and Peter's taxes. 
God doesn't care where he went. He goes to the rich young ruler, right? And we all freak out. We go like, oh, he goes, what do I need to do to get to, to heaven? He goes, he goes, go give everything to the poor, and then you can follow me. Jesus didn't go, hey, give me your wallet. Give me your money. I don't want your money. Go give it to the poor. Your money's controlling you. I want your heart. I want your heart. Generosity is a heart issue. And it's a perspective, Jesus, remembering that God has entrusted us with everything that he's entrusted with us so that we would give it back to him and say, God, how do you want me to use it? Because we're a kingdom of stewards. So what has God reminded you of this morning? How have you recognized that your perspective needs adjusting? Because I know mine does. And how is God calling you to respond? Let me pray and then we'll have some worship and we'll take communion and we'll respond.